And the sermon passage for today comes from Genesis chapter 32, starting with verse 22. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across to the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wretched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Do you have any Rocky fans here this morning? You know, Rocky Balboa? few of them. I read this story just last night about uh, Sylvester Stallone. I don't actually know if this is true, by the way, but I'm going to share it anyway because it's, it's an interesting story. Uh, but apparently, uh, Stallone struggled quite a bit before his big break, as many actors do. Uh, and after a fairly big flop uh, of a role and countless rejections, he turned to writing in order to try to write a script that he could star in himself. Um, he thought he would try his hand at that. And he, he watched this boxing match between Muhammad Ali and, and Chuck Wepner, and he was inspired to write the script for this famous movie that we know as uh, Rocky. It's a, a, about a boxer who's down on his luck, right? struggling as they watch their dreams go down the drain. And so he's it, kind of putting his life and his struggles as an actor over this story. But he said, you know, it's a lot... Uh, more difficult for people to care about struggling writers than it is to care about an underdog story in, in, in boxing. Uh, he said he wrote the first draft in just about three days, about 20 hours or so uh, of writing during that time, but he knew he had written a hit, and the, the studios seemed to like it as well. He would get offers for the script, but they didn't seem to like his one stipulation in the contract, that he be the main actor in the film. So he actually got uh, a first offer of about $125,000, which was more money than he had ever even seen or thought about, but he turned it down because they refused to offer him the role. A few weeks later, he got an offer for $250,000. He still said no because they still didn't want him to be the, uh, the main actor. Then $350,000, this is where it starts to get a bit fuzzy as I was trying to verify the story. The numbers keep seeming to change um, in the later times that he tells the story. But they wanted his movie, but not him. So he said, no, I, I want to be in that role in the movie. He finally had a studio offer him $35,000 and to be the, the starring role. And the rest is history. The movie won three Academy Awards for Best Picture, Best Directing, Best Film Editing. He was even nominated for Best Actor in the film. And the movie has since been inducted into the American National Film Registry as the, one of the greatest movies ever. All because Stallone would not let go of his vision. 
In this morning's text, we will talk about, or have talked about, another guy who would not let go of something. But Jacob's tenacity seems to come from quite a different place, and his breakthrough in it comes for different reasons as well. But first, let's just take a moment to see how we got here and how Jacob got here. So uh, Jacob cheated his brother out of his birthright. We just talked about that in the children's message this morning. Then he fled for his life in fear of Esau's angry retaliation. He journeyed after that to the region of Aram, where he, he ended up getting married not once, but twice, all right? Uh, and not because he wanted to, but because his father-in-law, Laban, tricked him into marrying his oldest daughter first before Jacob could marry the daughter that he had wanted to marry, Rachel. Ironically here, the trickster gets tricked uh, in this moment. Jacob and his wives, they end up having lots of babies and eventually felt the need to set on, out on their own after some tension built up between him and the in-laws because of various things. You can read in those chapters, but we won't go into details. Uh, as he is journeying away, Jacob hears this startling message from God in uh, chapter 31, verse 3, and I realized this morning I forgot to make a slide for this. But he says, uh, God tells him, the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your ancestors and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So as Jacob is sensing he needs to get away from Laban, God reminds him to go back to his homeland. He intends to keep this promise that he had made with Abraham and Isaac before him. And he gives this vision for returning home and experiencing the joy and flourishing uh, that this promise has, uh, has given for both his father and grandfather before him. But there's a hitch, right? Because going home means that he's going to have to encounter his angry brother, Esau. So the entire first part of this chapter in 32 involves Jacob pleading with God to save him from the wrath that he is sure he's about to endure from his brother Esau. He doesn't see any options. So he starts sending waves of people and gifts in order to try to uh, appease Esau before they even meet uh, my kids, they sometimes try this as well. Maybe you've heard of the uh, fight, flight, or freeze responses in the midst of uh, a panic or, or danger. Well, they have developed a fourth uh, way of, of going about things is free stuff, just trying to give you, oh, I shouldn't have this thing? Oh, it was just a present for you, Daddy. That's all I was doing here. Um, that's, what, that's what Jacob seems to be doing with Esau, uh, okay, I can't get out of this situation. Maybe if I just send over everyone else in my party first and give him lots of gifts, maybe it'll butter him up enough that things will go well. But he doesn't seem to trust that enough to really feel at peace with himself. He is in anguish all night. And in the middle of the night, we get a, a brief glimpse, this really poignant moment of, of his life. And in chapter 32, Verse 9, it says, And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and your kindred, and I will do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I've become two companies. Deliver me, please, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I'm afraid of him. He may come and kill us all, and the mothers with the children. Yet you have said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring 
as the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted because of their number. And as he sits there by the river alone in the middle of the night, is all of a sudden confronted with this man who starts wrestling him. Completely comes out of nowhere, doesn't really give us a, a ton of clues in the text as to what's going on, except for later we are to understand that Jacob somehow understands this as, as an encounter with God by what he says about it afterwards. And this event is really important because Jacob has um, been all wound up with anxiety precisely because he's afraid of his fight with his brother. Esau, the big hairy hunter, Jacob, the clever mama's boy who had stayed home to cook, and now, after he had just asked God to save him from this fight that's about to come up, God ends up finding, fighting Jacob himself. So we have the wrestling match. There's something fishy going on here, right? Because it says that they're wrestling all night, and this uh, man sees that he's not able to overpower Jacob somehow. And yet he also then proceeds to dislocate Jacob's hip with just a simple touch. So there's something more than just human strength going on here, something supernatural, which reinforces that this must have been some sort of divine encounter. But if he can do this, why is there even any contest at all? Obviously, he could have easily overpowered Jacob, but he doesn't. Because it's not really about the fight. It's about what comes next. The dialogue here is really rich. The man said, let me go, for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I won't let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? What is your name? Perhaps this cues up in your head already some parallels to an event that happened prior to this. The last time Jacob was asked that question, what is your name, was when he was going to his father Isaac, pretending to be someone else. And Jacob went to his father and said, my father. Yes, my son, Isaac answered, who is it? And Jacob said, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you can give me your blessing. Now the Lord asks the same thing of him. What is your name? You want a blessing? Tell me who you are. Up to this point, Jacob has been defined by the name that was spoken over him at birth. Last week, I, noticed how, or I noted how Isaac and Rebekah, they seemed in the naming process to go with very blunt observation, and naming them Esau just means hairy. He was a hairy kid. Uh, Jacob came out and was grasping his brother's heel, so Jacob means grasping the heel. And yet, those names also seemed to have some special meaning that played out over their lives. Esau became this hairy, manly man. Jacob became the kind of person who is constantly grasping at the heels of others. There's this kind of uh, insinuation or implication in that phrase, even in the Hebrew, of this idea of, of deception, of uh, um, saying that this person takes advantage of other people. And Jacob has definitely been living that out with Esau, with Isaac, with Laban even. And finally, at his most desperate point, Jacob says, I'm Jacob. Yes, that's me, the heel grasper, the deceiver, the trickster, the guy who does whatever he needs to to get what he needs. I'd like to suggest this morning that real transformation for Jacob only happens once he confronts his deepest wounds and fears 
and surrenders to God's will. Uh, Christians throughout history have talked about this kind of spiritual reality in our journey with God in a few different ways. Some people talked about the journey of the cross, the dark night of the soul. One of my favorite ways of, of talking about this, uh, I learned from Dr. Terry Wardle at Ashland Seminary called the journey of descent. I can't remember uh, who coined that term first or where it came from, but it's this idea of the downward journey of humility that we find in life not by earning salvation and love through any sort of righteousness of our own, but by surrendering to God and our faith. This is a very cursory overview of this idea, but we accept God's love for us exactly as we are. And because of that, it gives us the courage and the strength to come to an awareness and then to examine our true condition and all our good and bad and all of our beauty and our brokenness. And then we may be led into surrender. Not a sort of like passive resignation, but this full relinquishment of control over to God. And it's only then that we can begin this journey into healing and to wholeness through purging ourselves of sin, through being perfected by the Holy Spirit into healthy and holy living and being awakened into Christ-likeness. This is very different and the idea of, I'm just going to white-knuckle it and try the best that I can to do um, everything that, I, that are the right things to do, to read my Bible enough, to, to make all of the right decisions. This is inviting God into our places of deepest uh, questions and, and wounding and despair so that we can experience him, experience his uh, reconciliation and, and restoring presence in our lives. This is one of the reasons why we say that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Because without Jesus, it is terrifying and a near impossible task to look into the depths of our hearts and hope to find anything like life and peace. But Jesus really can be trusted with our brokenness and our vulnerability. He is the only true and perfect image of the God who loves us and wants to save us. Without the grace and love of God, we'd surrender in our vulnerability and just be completely condemned because we don't measure up. But with God, we find that there is hope in our darkest moments. There's a shepherd who can lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus calls us to die to self and that in that death, we receive new life. And while that receives, it's fullest expression, the salvation that we receive in Jesus. God has always been about that same redemptive work. So in his dramatic show of love and compassion to Jacob here, he hears Jacob's name and he gives him a new one. The Lord tells Jacob, no, that's not your name anymore. You shall be called Israel, which means uh, he who contends or struggles and overcomes because you have struggled with God and humans and have overcome. He says, you're no longer the deceiver who takes advantage of others. That's not who you are, nor who you are meant to be. That's not what I see in you. You're the one who struggles with God and breaks through. You are an overcomer. What I think is so profound about this is God is not labeling him an overcomer because he's just a really good wrestler. Like he couldn't overcome him in, in, in the middle of the night. 
And it's not necessarily like Sylvester Stallone, who we talked about, who just like held on so tightly to his dream here. Jacob overcame through his surrender, his acknowledgement, and humility. It's in the moment of Jacob's confrontation with his deepest wound that God labels him an overcomer. It was his truthfulness, his vulnerability. And Jacob walks away with a new identity and a limp to prove it. What happened? For Jacob, this real transformation, it only happens once he confronts his deepest wounds and fears, surrenders to God's will, what God speaks over him a moment. Now, this is not an uncommon theme in Scripture. In fact, it's one of the key hallmark things that happens uh, in the spiritual walk. We see, saw in Abraham, he was promised to become the father of many nations, but only has one heir of the promise after years of trying and mistakes made along the way. And then near the end of his life, God asks him to give up that same son of the promise. He must answer the question, do I believe that God will make me a nation? even if I have to sacrifice my son, confronted with his deepest wound. Moses is charged with the task of confronting Pharaoh and leading his people out of Egypt. And in a shocking turn of events, this is a really short part in Exodus chapter 4, but one of my favorite passages. On his way back, it says that God sought to put him to death. Moses. If you remember, Moses fled Egypt because the Pharaoh was seeking to put him to death because of what he, he had killed an Egyptian man. And so he's fleeing for his life. And so God is confronting him with some of his deepest fears and insecurities. He must answer the question, do I really believe that God wants to be in covenant with me? Jesus himself experiences a series of temptations at the beginning of his journey uh, and throughout that hit at the very human question that will follow his entire ministry. Do I believe that the Father will give me what I need? In the wilderness, he rebuffs Satan's temptations for bread, celebrity, and authority, even though he will face hunger and rejection and humiliation. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he pleads uh, with God the Father to take this cup from him of suffering, but he surrenders to the Father's will. On the cross, he cries out, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's a ton to unpack from that moment, but we can just sit for a second to realize this is one of the few times that Jesus addresses uh, the Father as God instead of as Father. And yet he submits and surrenders and is glorified. There is this powerful truth undergirding Scripture that the path towards spiritual maturity and wholeness is not through effort and success, but through inviting God into our places of woundedness and fear and allowing him to do the transformative work of healing in our lives. The other profound thing about Jacob's wrestling match is that he didn't come out on the other side as being fully righteous or holy either. Jacob's night of wrestling allowed him to fully surrender his fear so that God could heal him and transform him, but that was just the first step in a longer journey, and he likely had to continually surrender that part of himself. He's going to continue to make new mistakes, and familiar mistakes even, but this event will mark him and his descendants forever. Maybe you noticed at the end of this passage, this really interesting line. As the sun rose above him as he passed Benile, and he was limping because of his hip. 
Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Jacob was so transformed by this experience that he not only gives the place a special name, which he does, but his descendants end up changing their eating patterns just to remember what happened at this place. It might seem silly, but this small act would have had a huge impact on his descendants. Every time that they avoided the tendons at the hip uh, in their meat, they'd remember that night that Jacob received his new name. That time that God told their great-grandpa Jake that he had nothing to fear, and he was worth something, God would be with him always. God has always emphasized for his people the importance of remembering these moments of faithfulness. Because he knows how easy it is for us to get discouraged and to forget the next time we face a trial. Why do we do what we do at church every Sunday? Why do we gather at special times like uh, threefold communion or any of our holiday sorts of things that we do? Because we realize that whether we realize it actively at the time or not, all of these built-up moments of faithfulness, they train our hearts they train our minds and our bodies to be attuned to the work of the Spirit within us. So when it comes to life transformation and journeying towards Christ-likeness and wholeness, we know that we need more than just Bible knowledge, head knowledge. We need to experience God's grace. We need to experience what it looks like to surrender in our vulnerable moments and see God uh, work and act within us. And we need to remember those real events of God's goodness in our lives and allow them to shape us in our places of deepest longing. We need community and rhythms of grace together in worship. Wholeness in Jesus is not a simple process. We're all broken people on a journey towards healing and redemption. And that journey often exposes our deepest fears and wounds and insecurities. The only way forward to wholeness and health is not to avoid those things or to try a little bit harder, but to surrender and humility before the God who loves us intimately and is unrelentingly faithful. We know that's a daily process. It takes reminding ourselves regularly of his past and his present faithfulness in order to combat the lies that motivate us to turn the other way. Where are you at this morning? Maybe you're just starting the journey and you need to invite God to show you his love, guide you to a revelation of uh, your place of need. And that can be a really scary place to be in, to say, Lord, would you get me to that place of surrender? Because those are very tender spots. Maybe you're here this morning and you have experienced that in your life before and you need to surrender to God in a new way or to revisit those places and experience his goodness again. Maybe you've already surrendered your life, but you're asking for help to remember and to abide in his presence and his promises renewed faith. As we close out the service this morning, I'd ask you to take some time to reflect and invite the Lord to guide you in how to respond to this text this morning. God, you are so good to us. And although it is so often uncomfortable and unwanted in our own lives to experience that disruption 
our status quo. We know that you can meet us in our most tender moments. We pray that we might be able to receive them with gladness and with joy, with expectation. You would show up and you would heal, would build us up even as we have been torn down. Would you give us the courage to surrender? Pray that in your name. Amen.